Welcome to TSOH Weekly. My name is Alex Morris of the TSOH Investment Research Service. With me, as always, Francisco Oliveira of Arlovilo Capital Management. The topic for this week is Netflix, and specifically, we're going to talk about uh, some some big news that the company announced this week. For a little bit of context, you know, Netflix has historically uh, received a bit of pushback in terms of the data that they share, uh, you know, with creators and and more broadly with you know with with stakeholders. Um, and they they made a step in direction of sharing more data in late 2021 when they introduced weekly top 10 title lists that also included viewer counts. And then this week we had a massive dump, something that they called the engagement report. Basically it's an Excel document with uh, over 18,000 titles that included the number of hours of viewership for titles. So um, I, I can't imagine anybody has complaints anymore about the data that Netflix is uh, giving to the creative community. But Francisco, after having gone through the data, you know, what are some of your some of your early thoughts in terms of what's been released here? You know, I, I think I, th- I think there's a lot of ways to skin this this cat. Um, but I think one of the things that was pretty interesting to me is the num just the sheer number of titles that have a lot of consumption, and, and not like the top ten, but right, but like the top ninety or so uh, titles have a hundred million hours of consumption. Um, I would bet that very few streamers get that level of consumption with, with, you know, a handful of titles. Um, and if you go to 50 million hours, right, it goes to nearly 300, uh, titles. So they have a, a level of, of volume that gets high consumption. Um, that is, is, is pretty, pretty incredible. And we don't have specific um, data relative to other streamers, but looking at the uh, weekly uh, Nielsen data, you, you just get the sense that, you know, not not many titles from the other streamers, which are mostly domestic streamers, get that level of attraction. I think another part that was interesting to me was that, um, like, titles that were released in the trailing 12 months uh, of this period, and this period is only six months. So basically saying at the end of the period of the, the Netflix data that was released, the 12 months before new titles were nearly 30% of, of viewership for that six months period. So new titles or relatively new titles really have a, a high impact viewership. Um, and then when you, when they tell you with this data, 40% of viewership is, is licensed titles. Um, it kind of, they just have a very good balance of new content or newly added content, having a high impact viewership, but then licensed content, which is mostly, um, mostly older content, um, has, has a certain amount of viewership that kind of keeps that user. So I thought that data overall seemed pretty healthy, right? You're not dependent on one thing. Um, in any specific country or geography, it's it, it seems like a diversified but high impact kind of viewership. That it's just tough to imagine uh, competitors matching this. Yeah, I probably should note for anybody who hasn't hasn't gone through the actual Excel data that they released that when we're saying you know top five shows, for example, it's it's individual seasons for TV shows, right? So there might be slightly different definitions for for some of these things as we compare to 
as we compare to what competitors have said in the past. But I, that's really one of the biggest takeaways for me as I think about in May 2023, David Zaslav, CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, said that the top five shows on Max were 90% of what people consumed and the top 20 shows were, were 98% of what people consumed. You know, just think about it directionally. Netflix's data is showing that the top 50 shows are are just over 10% of what people consume globally. And the top 1,000 shows are just over, you know, 50% of what's consumed globally. So it just speaks to very, very different, um, you know, strategies, geographic exposures, and, and really influences, I think, how these companies are going to try to position themselves going forwards. And, you know, I think at, at one point, a company like WBD probably thought that there was a path to viewership data and a, a breadth of viewership that looks more like what Netflix has. And, you know, I think probably rightly so. They have they have since come to the conclusion that they're going to play a much tighter strategy, which, which is focused around, you know, these handful of, of really well-known and popular um, intellectual properties that that they've created in the, in the past or will create in the future. So it'll be very interesting to watch how this plays out going forward. Yeah, and another way of, of, of interpreting what you said is that, look, when, when, when someone subscribes to Max, right, it's very intentional on a handful of things. But they don't. it's not necessarily that they're sticking around to just consume stuff that they have or are being recommended. When somebody goes to Netflix, they're not like, for the most part, they're not saying like, hey, I'm going to go to Netflix to watch this, right? Kind of like when you go to Max, it's like, hey, I want to watch the latest Game of Thrones or hey, that new Sunday night, you know, episode of HBO, I want to see it. It's very intentional on Max. On on Netflix, is like, I kind of want to go to Netflix to, to see what's there, to be entertained, um, to watch a movie, right? They said, you know, basically... Uh, I think they say a third of of viewership or thirty percent of viewership was was movies, which is fairly high and, and surprising. Just people are going to Netflix to just be entertained and watch content. People are going to Max to seek out a specific thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing uh, for Max, right? But it just makes you very vulnerable because what if you have a eighteen month period? without a without a ma major breakout hit right or or just very few hits um it could kind of be like a you know reverse flywheel effect and, and no hits no one's you know no one's intentionally going there then no one's watching the, the little library that you have exclusively and it becomes a vicious cycle you don't have pricing power etc cetera, etc cetera. and um for the most part most streamers are like that and and I think Netflix, uh, again, they just, they have a very healthy set of viewership and a diverse viewership, but but the tonnage at the top is still very wide. Um, and that's a good thing for them. I think the other funny part of this all is I kind of noted at the introduction is that they long, you know, they were long accused of being tight-lipped and, and secretive on some of this data. And it's kind of funny when you pair the release of this report with, a lot of the conversations at the UBS conference and really the last conference call as well, you're you're seeing this shift towards, you know, very sensibly towards um, flaunting <laughs> what they can offer in terms of just the massive amount of viewership that that you know content from creators, from leagues, whatever maybe comedians, et cetera, um, just how massive the platform is and how how broad it is globally. And 
you know, they're really leaning into that now. And something you and I have discussed many times and I've written about many times is, you know, how do these considerations start to impact the, the cost of content potentially? And, you know, another way of saying that too, is as you look at the massive number of titles that they've released here and, and you can, you know, scrape the data and see that the bottom 50%, 9,000 titles account for, you know, two or 3% of, of total viewership. You start thinking, you know, how, how does, this become even slightly more efficient over time, right? I think there's some folly and being overly data-driven on some of these things, but I'm talking about getting incrementally better by five or 10% and what that does to your cost structure. I just think there's a lot, of, a lot of opportunity ahead. Would you agree with that? No, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, it, it, kind of, it kind of speaks to me that they don't necessarily need to, you know, a, a bare case for Netflix was that, hey, content cost is a variable expense and you you can't grow unless you you continue to increase content expense. And I just, what this tells me is that they probably have wiggle room or at a minimum grow content expense much, much slower than, than revenues at this point in their cycle and, and, and given their, and given their scale. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very healthy set of data. It'll be interesting to see how it evolves, right? When we get more, you know, it's going to be every, we're going to report this every six months, but when we get annual, can compile the annual data and compare it, you know, over time, it's going to be super interesting to see that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, the last point when you reminded me when you mentioned UBS is that this is coming at a period of time where now it's getting easier for them to license content and easier for them. We're talking about managing content costs that they don't necessarily need to make as many movies as before because, for example, Warner Brothers Discovery just licensed to them a whole bunch of library A rights, right? Warner Brothers Discovery has Dune 2 coming out, which is a very popular movie um, released a year or two ago. And they licensed Dune 1 on, on Netflix, which in theory, when you're marketing Dune 2, you might want to, use that marketing to kind of help out Dune 1 on your own streaming service. Like an example is when, when Avatar 2 came out, you know, Disney leaned on Avatar 1 uh, being on Disney Plus. And Disney Plus is not perfect by any means. Um, but what I'm saying here is that uh, for Netflix overall, seeing what WBD do, is doing and, and other studios, they just have a lot of opportunity to play with their budget and, and to have more content. And, you know, they are, it is a, it went from a seller's market of content to a buyer's market of content. And Netflix is the biggest buyer by, by a wide margin. Well, as I tweeted this week, uh, the headlines from, uh, from April, 2022 are, are very different than the headlines that we're seeing today on Netflix. So we'll just have to wait and see what those what those headlines look like 20 months from now.